The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So when it comes to GPS, technology has come a long way. Now, most of us use uh, GPS on their phones, use Google or Waze. Anybody use the, the app Waze on your phone, many of you? And you can get like up to date on what's going on with traffic or if there's a traffic jam or an accident. And, and um, it, it's pretty advanced. Before that, you had to have like a TomTom Tom or Garmin. Remember when you used to have to have that like another piece of equipment to actually get GPS? And then before that, in the Stone Age, you had this thing called a map. Some of you don't even know what a map is, okay? A map is a piece of paper, and it has, like, roads and, and cities and things on there, okay? And, you know, they say that it's dangerous to be, like, texting and driving and looking at your phone. But I don't remember anyone warning us that it was dangerous to be looking at a map <laughs> while driving, okay? Like, you unfold a three-foot piece of paper spreading it across the windshield, okay, you're trying to drive, it's wrapping around your face, okay, not the safest situation, okay, and so technology has come a long way, now billions of dollars, there's satellites in outer space that are triangulating our exact position, okay, billions of dollars, all of this advancement, and yet I personally, some of you are like this, I still sometimes would prefer to channel my inner GPS rather than using my phone. Now, some of you have this same neuroses that I have. Um, I have this thing where I feel like if I've been someplace once before, I should know how to get back there on my own. Even if I don't know any of the names of the streets, like I feel like if I pull up to an intersection, I'll just like sense it in the force that I'm supposed to turn there and that I should be able to get back there after just one time of being there. So um, not long ago, I was uh, going to a doctor's appointment, and it was uh, a new doctor. I'd only been there once before. And, uh, but since I had been there, I was like, I'm pretty sure I know how to get back there, so I'm not going to look it up into my phone, even though that would take two seconds. I'm like, I don't need that. And I'm driving to the doctor's office, and I pull into this parking lot. I'm there at the building, and I'm looking at this building, and there's nothing about a doctor. There's no doctor's name. I'm like, this doesn't look right at all. And at that point, I realize, obviously, I've gone to the wrong place. I've got to take out my phone, admit to myself, okay, that I'm not better than the GPS on my phone, and I've got to take that out, and I've got to adjust that to the fact that I am not in the right place, find the direction, actually go to the right building. Okay, GPS shows me the reality of where things are located, and I, once I realize that I, I am not at the right place, I have to adjust myself to reality. We can't adjust reality to ourselves, can we? You weren't really responding to that, and that concerns me. Okay, we can't, we can't adjust reality to ourselves. Okay, I'll just tell you then. You can't adjust reality to yourself. Okay, for example, if I go into the doctor's office, and or what I think is I pull the wrong place, I'm like, no, this is my doctor's office. I go in the door, and I walk in and say, um, I would like to see Dr. Smith. And they look at me and say, sir, this is an auto parts store. Like, I can't stand there and defiantly say, no, this is my doctor's office, go get my doctor. Okay, that would be ludicrous. 
that would be like a definition of insanity, okay? For me to think that I can change reality to myself kind of defines, okay, uh, that there's something wrong going on in myself. And so we know that. We fundamentally know, it's fundamental to being human, you can't adjust reality to yourself. We have to adjust to reality. We fundamentally know that. Yet we tend to have a knack for wanting to avoid truth and reality rather than accept it. We have a tendency to kind of want to resist truth or redefine it rather than just simply accepting and adjusting to it. And this idea of how we handle truth is a fundamental quality and value that we have to understand, especially as we're going through this series and we're squaring up to the idea that God has intended to use us as a change agent in the environment that he's placed us in. I want, us, I want us to see how this works itself out in our lives. We're going to be looking in a passage of the Bible called First uh, Thessalonians. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, or you can open up your booklet to um, page 21, we're going to be looking at First Thessalonians starting in chapter 2. Now let me give you the background, kind of the premise of this series that we're working on. There are these guys named Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They're missionaries. They've been traveling from city to city to city, sharing the truth about Jesus. And while they've been traveling around, they've been a part of this first generation of Christians that have sparked a movement. Like the known world is, is being changed. These cities are being changed. They've sparked this movement around, around Jesus Christ. And they get, Paul, Silas, and Timothy get to this city called Thessalonica, and they share this message about Jesus, and it makes this group of people so angry that they create a mob, an angry mob in the town, and they start accusing Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and this is their accusation. They say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And what they meant as an accusation was actually a great affirmation of who they were called to be. In fact, it's a great affirmation of who we as Christ followers are supposed to be. We're supposed to be change agents. We're supposed to turn the spheres upside down that God has specifically placed us in. So they end up um, leading some people to become Christ followers. A small church is there in Thessalonica. They move on to another city and they write a letter back to the, to the church in Thessalonica called Thess Thessalonians. And they, they write in this one section that we're looking at, they say, here is how we lived among you. You remember, this is how we acted. And they talked about some of the ways they live, some of their values, some of the things they hold on to. And remember who it is that's giving this description. They're giving a description of themselves and who are they? They're men who've turned the world upside down. They're, they're these world changers. And so they're, they're giving this description, as they're giving this, this description of themselves, they're giving us this description of world changers. And they've said, well, we, this is how we were among you and we're asking you to be imitators of us. So as we go through these descriptions, we find these attributes and values, not just of leadership principles. They're leadership principles, but a certain kind of leadership principle. They're the type of principles that if you embody these, it sparks a movement. It's like a, a catalyzes change in your sphere. It, it changes and transforms and turns over culture where you've been placed. So we're going to take a look at these and we're in part three and we're going to look today at one of the most important of these attributes. Look at 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 3 and 4. Here's what it says. He says this, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now, what did he just say here? He said, okay, there's an appeal that we came and that we made to you. And there are three things we made this appeal. He said, we made this appeal without appeal, without error, without impurity, and without any attempt to deceive. And God knows our hearts on this. Now, I want to quickly break this apart because it's so straightforward, but it's very, very practical. And I want you to see how this works itself out in our own, our own lives and sphere, our own spheres that we've been called to. But let's just quickly break this apart. He says, we've made an appeal. Now, this is a word that Paul uses quite a bit throughout all of his letters. He says, um, he appeals to, for example, the Romans. He says, um, I'm an ap- appealing to you. I'm making a plea to you. I'm appealing to you for prayers on our behalf. He says to the Corinthians, he says, I'm appealing to you, pleading with you, encouraging you, exhorting you. I'm making an appeal that you all would have unity. He makes an appeal to a guy named Titus. He says, I'm appealing to you that you would go minister to this one church in Greece. He says to a guy named Philemon, I'm appealing to you to forgive this guy who's wronged you named Onesimus. He makes these appeals. It's a plea. And he's there in Thessalonica making a particular appeal. He's wanting to change something in their midst. And this particular appeal, he reveals what it is later in that sentence. He says, we've been entrusted with the gospel. The gospel was his appeal. Now, we've been defining very specifically what this word gospel means the last couple weeks. The word gospel technically means what? Good news, exactly. The word gospel means good news. And he says, I've made an appeal. My, our appeal was the gospel, was this good news. Now, how is the gospel a plea? How is it an appeal? How is it begging something uh, from someone? The gospel is essentially a plea for someone's soul. It's the same in the first century as it is today. The gospel is an appeal to the soul. In fact, this might be the plea that you need to hear for your soul today. Essentially, the gospel tells us that where we stand before God as we stand right now is dire. Where you and I stand before God, based on our own lives, it is, you could put it like this, there is no one who could possibly be good enough to get into heaven. And so every one of us are facing an eternity away from God in hell. And you say, well, how does that, I mean, I don't think I'm that bad of a person. I'm a pretty good person. I haven't robbed any banks or anything like that. Well, this is what the scripture says. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the standard of being good enough to get into heaven is the glory of God. It's God-like perfection. And of course, none of us have God-like perfection. So we all stand facing an eternity away from God. But the appeal is good news. It's that God looks down at us and says, I love them too much. I can't possibly leave them in that place. And Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, comes to earth. He lives that perfect life of God-like perfection, surrenders his life to be crucified. He dies on the cross, and on the third day, he rises again 
from the dead. And God says, that death and resurrection, I will count that on your behalf. It will be substitute for, your, for the penalty for your sin. In other words, if you put your faith in Jesus, all of your sin will be forgiven. All of your sin will be forgiven past, present, and future. He died in your place. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you can spend eternity in heaven. It's not about what you do, it's about what he did. He says, this was our appeal, and maybe for you today, that's what you need to hear, that plea for your soul. He said, we made this appeal. Then he specifically says how he makes this appeal, and I want, to, I want you to look at this briefly, and then we're going to dig into this in our own lives. He says three things. This is how we operate. There's three ways that we will make this appeal to you. Here's the first one. We did it without error. Like we had refined the truth in it enough, pursued the truth in it enough that we know that what we're presenting to you is pure truth. Had no error. It had no impurity. There was no fleshly motive that we had when we shared this truth. It wasn't for our own gain. Had no impurity. And he says the third thing is there was no deception. The way in which we presented this, we didn't hide part of it, we didn't twist it, we didn't spin it, we didn't just give it to you in such a way to deceive you. It had no deception in the way we presented it to you. And he says, and he ends this section by saying, and God knows our hearts. Now what are we looking at here? What's the attribute of this world changer? These world changers, these men who had turned the world upside down, they're revealing something critical about who they are. They are down in their hearts, committed unwaveringly to truth. They are committed unwaveringly to reality and to truth. Now you say, well, that's not super profound. I mean, I, who doesn't want truth? I mean, everyone wants truth, right? I mean, that's, that's an easy thing to want truth. Actually, no. Truth can be brutal, can't it? Man, truth can be very, very uncomfortable. Truth can come at the worst moment. I mean, truth can be very, very inconvenient. Truth can really get in the way, can't it? Okay, it's like this. Let me give you one example of this. Have you ever had this conversation with someone or maybe someone's had this conversation with you? Maybe uh, your friends come and say, man, oh, I've just got this terrible pain in my back. It's just, man, it's just killing me. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. When did this happen? Ah, oh, three months ago. Three months ago? You've been living with that pain for three months ago? Man, you need to go see a doctor. Nah, I don't want to go see a doctor. Anyone had that conversation before? With someone in the room sitting next to you, maybe, just hypothetically? No, I don't want to go see the doctor. I, I, I'll be fine. I'm sure it's nothing. You've been living with this pain for three months and you're not going to go see a doctor. What if he, I mean, he could probably just fix it immediately. Maybe you just go to a chiropractor and he just puts you in a little pretzel and you're all fine at the end, okay? It could be nothing. Okay, why, what is that instinct to not want to go to the doctor when we're suffering terribly with a pain? We don't want to find out the truth. Finding out the truth is actually more scary than what we're actually physically experiencing. We'd actually rather physically suffer longer than actually find out truth that might be scarier. And, and we're definitely, what if the remedy is worse than what I'm suffering? What if what I have, to, what if it's really, really bad news? See, we know fundamentally truth is a good thing. 
We know fundamentally, I, I need to adjust to reality, not adjust reality to me. I, we know fundamentally that we want truth. It's just, man, truth is difficult. It's, we have an unbelievable way of resisting truth, hiding from truth, twisting truth, reinventing truth. Sometimes truth is really uncomfortable. In fact, let's put this whole idea in one sentence. I want you to, um, we're going to pull it here up on the screens. I want you to circle this in your booklet or rewrite it in your booklet. Truth is often inconvenient and at the same time and always indispensable. Man, truth is often inconvenient. It's often painful. It's often not what I wanted to hear. It's often bad news. It's often comes at the wrong time. It's often inconvenient. But I always, always need it. I always need to rely on it. I always need to pursue it. It's always indispensable. Okay, I want this to stick in our brains. I want to read this out loud together. Read this with me. Truth is often inconvenient and always indispensable. Truth is one of those things, man, sometimes I don't want to hear it, but I need to hear it. And this works itself out in our lives more often than we care to admit. I want to show you three ways. Like Paul said, there's three ways that they interacted with truth. I want to talk about how these play out in our spheres. Here's the first thing he said. He said that they were committed to not having any error, which if that's true about their message, that means they pursued truth. They pursued weeding out the error of who they were, what they believed, what they taught. They pursued truth. So the first thing I want you to write down is we have to be become addicted to truth. You have to be a truth addict. You have to want tr a truth fix so badly that you're willing to get truth almost anywhere. You're hunting it down, you're pursuing it, you're, you're um, drinking it in, you want truth, you need truth. We have to be addicted to truth, to weed out error. You say, well, I think I want truth. All right, we, you can find out whether you like truth with one diagnostic question about your life. How well do you receive criticism? Do you receive it well? Because if someone's trying, they're, they're trying to speak the truth to you. They may not do it at the right way, at the right time. It may not be the right person. But are you a truth addict? Because you'll get your fix anywhere. Who are you willing to receive truth from? Is it just the experts that I pay? Is it just the, the people that are discernibly farther down the road in that area than, than I am? Is it just uh, certain people that I have to hear truth from? What about the people that love me the best? Will I receive truth from them? My spouse? My friends? My children? What about the people that, that I'm supposed to lead? Will I receive truth from them? Someone that reports to me? Someone I'm mentoring? What about an enemy? Sometimes they're the ones that give us the most unfiltered truth. Am I addicted to truth so much that I want to hear from an enemy? Well, why is this so important to be able to receive criticism and receive truth? Okay, I want to take a poll. We're going to actually raise hands here, okay? I want to take a poll. If you have a flaw of any kind at any point in your life, I would like for you to raise your hand if you have a flaw. Okay, everyone but one guy in the back. Okay, all of us. And, sir, the people around you be happy to fill you in on what your flaws are, okay? 
That was difficult for some of you, okay? I saw some of you like, probably at some point I had one. I can't think of it now, but pretty sure there was a flaw back there. Okay, let, let me let you in on a secret you may not want to hear. There was no one who knows you that was surprised that you raised your hand. No one was like, what, he raised his hand? Like, I don't think he's got any flaws. We all have flaws. So receiving criticism and feedback, we have to want truth so much that we're wanting to receive that feedback, no matter how difficult or inconvenient or uncomfortable it is. We're so addicted to truth that we want to receive that feedback. Why? Because otherwise, we're locked in our flaws. We're going we're gonna to be walking and just and just festering in that flaw, in that blind spot for the rest of our lives. We want to hear that truth speaking into our lives. If you, um, whatever sphere you have leadership in, whether it's your family that you're responsible for, whether it's a ministry team you're responsible for, whether it's a branch or a department or an office or a corporation or an organization, whatever sphere you have you are responsible for, you want to hear the uncomfortable feedback about it. Don't stiff arm it. You want to hear the flaws in the culture that you're responsible for, whether it's your family, your organization, your branch, your department, your, your office. You want to hear the truth. Otherwise, you'll just be continuing in your flaws. You need that feedback. Okay, what's at stake here if we don't ever receive this feedback and this criticism, I want to just speak into one of the spheres in our lives. I want to talk about family because we're supposed to be change agents in our immediate and extended family. I want you to think of it like this. If you never are willing to receive criticism and feedback, if you're never willing to receive that, here's what's at stake. You are dooming your spouse to suffer your flaws for the rest of his or her life. If you're never willing to receive criticism or feedback or for someone to address a blind spot or reveal a flaw, as uncomfortable as that may be, as inconvenient or as brutal as that may be, if you're never willing to receive that, if you take the stance of, this is who I am, this is who, I, who you married, don't ask me to change, don't try and change me, you're right. No one can change you. You have to be committed to changing yourself and allowing God to change you. If you take that stance then you're dooming your spouse to suffer your flaws for the rest of his or her life. That's foolishness. Be willing to receive criticism. Let's take it another level. The week one, we talked about the attribute of you can teach what you know, but you replicate who you are. Here's what I think is even scarier. If you will never let someone speak into your life and address your flaws, then you are, going to, you are content to replicate your flaws into your children. You're content to send them out in the world. I'm not going to address it, and you're going to pass it on. And you're content with that. You're choosing to accept that. What the scripture says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You want those wounds. You want that in your life if it's a friend who loves you, that's speaking truth. You want to receive that truth. You want to see, you're so addicted to truth, you'll get that fix anywhere because you want that truth. You're saying, thank you for speaking into my life. 
I want to see how I need to grow or how we need to grow. I want that feedback as hard as it is to hear. And so you're wanting to move forward so that you can remove the flaws and the errors out of your life, out of your family, out of the sphere that you're responsible for. If you're a leader, whether in your home, in the place that you work, in the ministry team that you're on, whatever leadership sphere that you're in, leaders, it's up to you to create an environment that is safe and you're encouraging feedback and pushback. It's up to you to create that environment where it's not just safe for someone to push back on you or on the direction. It's encouraged and even rewarded. Because they're not going to know if it's safe to do that. Am I going to get fired or am I going to get put in the doghouse? You want to draw it out and then you want to reward it and thank that person. Why? Because you need truth that badly. You need to hunt it down, pursue it, be addicted to it. First thing, we have to be addicted to truth. What's at stake? Man, there's huge things at stake. Be addicted to truth. Be committed to having no error. Here's the second thing he talked about. He said, without impurity. So here's the second thing. We've got to be a protector of truth. You know, the interesting thing and maybe the scary thing about truth is, you know, you can weaponize truth. You can turn it into a weapon. Sometimes we're tempted to say, well, I'm just speaking the truth. Yeah, but you can take it and weaponize it. Just because it's true doesn't mean you have license to share it with anyone at any time in any manner. We, be careful not to weaponize truth because if you're misusing truth, you might be saying true things, but if you're using it as a weapon, check your motives because there's something that you're trying to gratify or position yourself with by sharing that at the wrong time. Let me give you an example. Gossip is weaponizing truth. Gossip is, well, isn't gossip when you're saying something untrue about someone? No, that's slander. Gossip is saying truth about someone to someone it's nobody's business and probably not your business either. Even if you're presenting that gossip in the form of a prayer request. And you gotta, you gotta pray for so-and-so. Did you hear what he's going through? Man, I'm worried about his soul. Let's just get together and pray for brother so-and-so right now, okay? That could be gossip. It might not be any of their business. You can, and you might be saying only true things. You're weaponizing truth. Let me give you a couple other principles of how to protect truth. I want you to think of the up-down principle and the in-out principle. What's the up-down principle? I want you to think of the spheres that you're in. There's a flow of reporting responsibility. There's an organization chart. If you see something in the organization that you think needs to change, if you see, if you have a criticism, if you have a complaint, if you see something in one of the higher-ups, you have to remember the up-down principle. Share that concern up not down. Share it up the chain of command, not down the chain of command. That's a big deal. If you share it up the chain of command, there's a chance that someone will hear it who can actually affect change. If you share it down the chain of command, that might make you feel better, but there's nothing they can do about it. If you share it laterally, then you're just complaining and now you're spreading bitterness and discontentment, and that doesn't affect change, it just makes the situation worse. 
Think of the up-down principle. If you've got a complaint, if you're seeing something, that might be very important. Guard and protect that truth and don't just spread that around and use that as a weapon against the organization. Share it up where you can change it. Take it to your supervisor. Take it to your boss. Take it to your manager. Take it to the one who can actually affect change. You say, yeah, but what if there's someone who won't listen? Remember, that's the important part of step one. Leaders, Create an environment that's receptive to hearing this pushback. But if you're saying, yeah, but my boss won't hear that kind of pushback, well, that's fine. But remember, you're only making the situation worse when you build an army of discontented people who can't do anything about it. Protect the truth. Don't weaponize it. Remember the up-down principle. Also remember the in-out principle. If you've, Hopefully you're a leader or you have a leader that's creating an environment where you're in a meeting and you're discussing trying to get to the truth, so hopefully there's healthy, respectful disagreement. It's not a bunch of yes men, yes women. You're there trying to find the truth. Hopefully you're disagreeing in, in the meeting, but when you're out of the meeting, walk out of there committed to whatever the decision was that was made and not second-guessing it out of that meeting. That is that is weaponizing truth that doesn't do any good when you say, well, I disagree, and you walk out and you tell your team or you tell your peers, well, I never agreed with that. I think this is a huge mistake. That doesn't change anything but making them also angry and you've weaponized truth and you're not um, protecting the health of the organization. Disagree in the meeting, choose to be on the same page out of the meeting. Protect truth. Because if you're not protecting truth, then you're weaponizing it out of your own impure motives. There's something you're trying to gain from it. Now, what's at stake here with protecting truth? You may have a truth that you've been placed in that organization at your work that God's alerted you to something that needs to change. But if you misuse that truth, it may ruin your opportunity to affect change in that environment. And that might be exactly why you've been placed there. Can I tell you a place that the stakes are even higher? If you lead at church, you're on a serving team, you lead a, you lead a serving team, you lead a, a group, and there's something that you see that you're dissatisfied about your church, which you will, your church is not a perfect church, and you see something you're dissatisfied, if you decide to tell your fellow volunteers or you tell your group or your team, who can't affect change, here's what the Bible said that you just did. In the book of Hebrews, it says, bitterness spreads like a root. You just planted seeds of bitterness in that, in that person. They can't do anything about change. You've just created a whole bunch of dissatisfied people. Send it up the chain so that it can affect change. We as a church need that together. Because here's what's at stake. If you start... Um, making dissatisfied people and spreading that bitterness out, you're creating sideways energy like in any other organization so that the organization can't move forward. It has to stop and deal with the dysfunction now that's been created. And that's bad for any organization, but I want you to think through your brain what happens when you halt the progress of, of a local church. The local church is the engine that's called to take the hope for that community out into that city. 
It is the engine that's taking the message of the gospel so that the people that live near you, work with you, or in your family with you are being transformed and their eternities are at stake. You may be gratifying yourself, sharing that thing that you disagree with, causing sideways energy and halting the progress of the gospel. And I want to say this in no uncertain terms. You do not want to stand before God being responsible for that. May we all have a built-in awe for what God wants to do through his church, and so we protect truth and protect his church by holding on to that truth. Be addicted to truth. Be a protector of truth. And here's the third thing that Paul said. He said, we never gave it to you in a way that was deceptive, so we've got to be a wielder of truth. You've got to be willing to take truth and use it right You've got to wield it properly. Here's how this plays out. You've got a friend that wants to grab coffee with you or you're hanging out with and they're explaining a major life decision they're about to make and you know it's not the right decision. You're very concerned for them. But now you're stuck. Do I share this truth and risk the whole relationship? I mean, or should I be a good friend and be supportive? Wield truth. They need the truth, just like you need the truth. Be willing to speak the truth. Speak it lovingly, respectfully, gently, humbly. You're you're not an authority. You're not an expert. You're just sharing how you see it. Yeah, but what if it destroys the relationship? Love them enough that you're willing to risk the relationship so that they might hear the truth. You're sitting in a, a boardroom or meeting and you're discussing a decision that's going to take the company in a direction that you're concerned about. Maybe there's some injustice infused in that. Someone's going to get hurt unnecessarily. There's something that lacks integrity, something that doesn't sound right, something immoral or unethical, and you're uncomfortable, and you're trying to decide, okay, should I just keep to myself because they're not going to hear it anyway, or should I speak up and speak for truth? Wield truth. Because here's what's happening if you keep silent. They're assuming that you agree, and that's the same as a deception. Speak up, speak with the truth. Speak boldly, but gently, humbly, lovingly, respectfully. Speak the truth. Wield the truth. Don't hold back. What's at stake? You might be the person God placed in that friend's life to spare them from great hurt down down the road in their life. You may be the person that God has placed in that organization saying, I want you to steer this organization so that's drawing this whole community in a better direction, this whole industry in a better direction, that whole corporation in a better direction. I've placed you there to be that change agent. So wield truth, don't hold back. Sometimes we're, we want to file off the edges of the truth or speak a half truth or, or just speak only part of the truth. No, share the full truth. Speak into that organization. Speak and be willing to wield the truth. I want you to think, what what is God's vision for all of this? Church, you're like, you and I are like out of salt shakers, how Jesus describes it. He sprinkled salt all over South Florida. Some of you work down in, in Doral and Kendall or Hialeah or Miami Lakes or North Miami or or downtown. 
Some of you work in, in West Miramar or Weston, Cooper City, Hollywood, Sunrise, Plantation, Coral Springs, Fort Lauderdale, Boca. He's placed us in all of these organizations all around. We live all across South Florida. He's sprinkled each little salt granule in all different industries. Some of you are, work at schools and some of you work in office buildings and in stores and fire stations and, and police stations and you work for the government or you work for the military or you work in a warehouse or you travel overseas. He's sprinkled us in all of these different industries and he's saying, I've intentionally placed you right there in those neighborhoods in that workplace in that family in that friend group. You have friends you have access to friends that no one else in your church does. And he's placed you specifically right there in that spot to be a change agent, to turn that sphere upside down. There's toxic culture that you've got to turn around. There's massive decisions you're going to have to speak into. There's injustices in your industry that you've got to speak out and call out. There are ways of just rampant cheating and lacking integrity that you've got to speak into. There's, there's a social culture lurking under the surface that's destroying the lives of your coworkers and classmates that you're going to speak in and turn that around. And if you're going to do that, you've got to be willing to speak the truth. Pursue the truth. And protect the truth. If you're going to be a change agent and a world changer, you're going to have to protect and be committed to truth. You know, there's something about truth that is so scary. It's that we're, I think in the reason that we're so resistant sometimes to truth is because sometimes truth will reveal like a mirror that we're flawed. And for some reason, we all raised our hands and said, I'm flawed, but there's something else inside of us that's afraid yet to learn what that is. But can I share with you what the foundational truth is that you need to hear? Yes, all of us are flawed, but this is how much God loves you. That in the midst of all of your flaws, he says, I want to spend eternity with you I'm going to show up in creation as a man, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to pay for all of your flaws, and then I'm going to go to work on you. I'm going to work from the inside out, starting to transform you. May we be a people that are surrendering to that process. And if you're here, can you just surrender to the fact, maybe you, you say, like, I, you're one of those people, I don't know where I stand with God. Can you just surrender to this truth? Yes, you're flawed like everyone else, but God loves you so much, he sent Jesus to die to pay for all of your sins. That's how much he loves you. Your life boils down to this. It's not about what you do, but it's what he did for you. I want to give you an opportunity to start this journey by just turning your life over to Jesus. Would you just take a second, bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Are you here and saying, you know what, I... I'm ready to believe and put my faith in what Jesus did. If you're saying, look, I, I'm ready to take that step. I want to follow after Jesus. I don't understand all of it, but I believe that he died in my place, and I just I want to accept that. Then I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Just wherever you're at, just right there in, in your heart, 
whether you're sitting here in one of these seats, you might be there watching online, right there in that moment with your head bowed and your eyes closed, make these words your own in your heart. Just simply say this, say, between you and God, say, Jesus, I know that I'm, I'm a sinner, but I also know that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Thank you. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. It's only Jesus that's my salvation. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.